Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com. I am Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com, also the radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa, the Talking Tide Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. And, of course, you can also pick up Talking Tide on Various platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The Talking Tide podcast, of course, sponsored by North River Dental Associates, Heat Pizza Bar, and Southern Ale House. We love those three sponsors of the show. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later on. We begin, though, of course, as we always do on the Sunday Nighter, Travis, recapping uh, Alabama's latest game, a resounding victory on the road, 55-17 to over LSU. So Alabama uh, covers a 30-point spread. Second week in a row, I guess, they've covered big spreads against opponents uh, that they normally wouldn't be uh, too heavily favored against, Auburn and LSU. This one, uh, really, at the end of this, would even more of a beatdown, I thought, Travis, uh, than was the Iron Bowl. Yeah, it was uh, swift and decisive. You know, Alabama offensively in that Auburn game, it took a couple of series. Well, it didn't take a couple seri- series on Saturday night this week. And uh, uh, the Alabama offense comes out, gets the job done, takes advantage of some self-inflicted mistakes. Although you give Alabama credit, had that hard count lined up for that LSU defensive line and converted a third down on the opening series via penalty. But look, Mac Jones... Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, that offensive line, Jalil Billingsley once again coming up with some explosive plays from the tight end position. It's not like this Alabama offense needs a lot of help anymore or these days. Uh, So when you do do things like that as an opposing defense, you almost know what's coming next. And uh, it was absolutely a a first-half avalanche, 45 first-half points. Uh, over 400 yards of total offense in the first half. You had a 300-yard passer, a 200-yard receiver, and a 100-yard rusher in the first half in Death Valley. So, uh, yeah, even some defensive snafus there in the second quarter. And that's all LSU get on the board a couple times, a couple of touchdowns. Uh, didn't really matter all that much last night. Uh, you went down there, Travis. You were in the house down in yes. Give us a, a Talking Tide podcast sights and sounds report uh, from your trip. We, one one word, you know, you've been down there so many times and you've been there most of the times. And if not all of them, you know, the the entire setting, the entire scene feels like it could go totally off the rails at any time. And that's pregame, during the game, after the game. And it was just absolutely nothing like that. And hadn't really planned on going to the game, but I saw where the ticket man was basically giving the ducats away. So, you know, I look at the the daughters and, I, and they haven't been to LSU. I, you guys want to go to the game? They're like, sure. So we jump in the car mid-morning Saturday because it's, what, a five-hour drive. We get down there about three and uh, just sort of parked wherever we wanted to. No tailgating, which was the most bizarre aspect of it all the scene outside the stadium more so than even inside uh tiger stadium on a saturday night in the fall uh just again in a, in a season in which we've 
just seen so much we never had seen before and never figured we would see. Uh, it was it was one of the heightened examples of it because everything that goes into LSU game day from start to finish is truly unlike anything else in college football. Uh, but it, it, that wasn't the case. And so, uh, you know, at the same time, we have fun with the ticket man. You know, we like to tell stories about the ticket man. We talk about ticket prices. And so while that was a good thing, you know, it, it gave us also a firsthand account. Again, Chase, how these local economies are just taking it on the chin, especially college towns like Baton Rouge here in Tuscaloosa. I mean, when you can go to Baton Rouge, the Alabama LSU weekend, and get in at 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon before a 7 o'clock kickoff and get a double queen suite for 120 bucks, and there's no two-night minimum, mm. that, tell, that tells you. And, and it's sobering to, to, again, think about, you know, how, how deep this, this whole thing is cutting uh, for these these economies, uh, these towns, when it when it comes to to college football, I gotta know what you paid for the ducats. What what was the number on the on the on the tickets? And did we you sat have to. Did you have to buy four for your your party of three, or did you ever beat the man down for just three tickets too? Well, I mean, they were so cheap. I went ahead and bought four, so we could really stretch out, you know. And so uh, there was three of us. We had four tickets. That was your tip. You tipped the man. Yeah, I, but I mean, I couldn't find anybody outside or anywhere else to really give a ticket to. Yeah. So we we uh, sat on about the twenty five yard line in chairbacks, thirty rows up, and I want to say it was fifty a ticket, something like that. I mean, think about that for an LSU Alabama game in terms of previous years, like two years ago. Think about what that same seat would have cost and think about how you would have probably, I would think, have to have a two night minimum at the hotel sure. at probably over $300 a night at least. Baton Rouge, one of the bigger towns in the SEC, so more beds, maybe the demand uh, and the uh, subsequent pricing based on that demand hasn't been what it's been maybe, say, here and some other smaller SEC towns. But, yeah, I mean... It, 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 it was fun. Uh, the girls enjoyed it. But e- even then, they didn't get the full experience, right? I mean, there's 20,000 people in Tiger Stadium Saturday right. night. That's not Tiger Stadium for Alabama. It's uh, Devontae Smith Stadium, I think is about what we ought to call it <laughs> after this performance by the outstanding Alabama receiver. Getting a little chatter for the Heisman Trophy, and why not? Uh, eight catches, 231 yards, 200-plus in the first half, three more touchdowns, uh, steaming toward uh, that that uh, forty career touchdown receiving mark uh, is Devontae Smith, and uh, there's just no covering the guy. And of course, he he closes it out. Travis, his final touchdown catch, a spectacular kind of a circus grab back of the end zone leaper with with one hand. Uh, he's 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 Superman right now. Yeah, you know, Derek Stingley, when he goes in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft and, you know, the selection's made and they go straight to those highlights, you know, from LSU. Uh, Number six for Alabama, I don't think will be on any of those highlights, Chase. I don't know what you think about that. I I don't think Devontae's going to make any of. But uh, I think I think Derek might make some of Devontae's uh, the other way around coming up in in uh, in April of next year. 
Uh, he is. He's amazing, man. Uh, you know, just when you think there's no way he can go for 200-plus again against LSU and even understanding this LSU defense isn't last year's LSU defense, he not only does it, he does it in a half this time. And so, you know, look, Mac Jones was very good. Uh, Najee Harris was very good. But we've also got to talk about this offensive line because pretty much throughout his time in the game, Mac Jones was able to stand back there, not even really have to climb into the pocket and kind of do what he wanted to do in terms of the passing game. But no, I mean, Devontae, the one-handed catch there, as you said, late in the second quarter, um, you know, he's getting close in terms of career receptions. I think he needs 30 more to tie Amari Cooper. He's, gosh, he's inside 50 yards or so, I think, of Amari in terms of career receiving yards. So, you know, that one could come as early as this week. I think it'd be an upset if it didn't. Uh, It's time to start talking about this guy as the greatest who's ever done it at the position at Alabama. In terms of the Heisman, yes, if it was truly about the best football player, in college football, then sure. I, I think you could legitimately have that discussion. Unfortunately for Devontae and some other guys in even recent years, uh, it, it's it's not really an award that goes to the best football player. No, it's become a quarterback's award. There's no question about that. There's still room for a running back to win it here and there, and, and there's practically no room for a receiver to win it anymore. It's pretty pretty rare that that happens. And when it does happen – it seems like there always has to be a big, big return factor with that guy, you know, thinking about the Desmond Howards and the Tim Browns and whatnot. So, yeah, I don't expect Devontae Smith to get a ton of Heisman votes as deserving as he might be. Uh, hopefully for him, at least, uh, he, he's a finalist. Although some years uh, the Heisman committee only brings three finalists to the to the show. Uh, so, uh, we'll guessing it's going to be virtual. Guessing it's going to be virtual, though. Maybe this year. So that that yeah. that that may not even matter if if they don't you know do it on site. I have, I, I don't know. Maybe they've said something about that. I Might as well heard, invite ten this year if it's going to be a zoom, right, right. Right. Capri <laughs> Suns and here. orange slices. Yeah, this year, <laughs> um, everybody gets a Heisman. But no, I think that also right. Mac Jones is going to get obviously, uh, his fair share of votes and deservedly so. So, you know, that's something working against Devontae too. When you got guys on your own team, even Najee Harris at this point, uh, with a second straight 1000 yard season, uh, is deserving of at least some type of mention, right? No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, Harris, 145 yards, 21 carries, three scores against the Tigers. He passes T.J. Yeldon and Kenneth Darby on the all-time Alabama rushing list. Sits at number four now with 3,415 career yards. Now needs 177 to break Derrick Henry's school record. We've been tracking that for you once a week here on Talking Tides. So that's that's a record that looks like it's certainly going to fall as long as Najee Harris stays healthy. And as long as this line in front of him that you touched on, Travis, continues blocking the way they're blocking Mac Jones. Uh, yeah. All day to throw at one point, he was 11 of 11 against LSU. And really, I, I noticed the offensive line, of course they, they protected Jones. Well, but man, when Najee Harris got loose on a couple of those runs, 
he was 10 yards down the field before anybody even had a chance to touch him. You got to tip your cap to the offensive line for, for that performance. And, and uh, those guys just keep getting better and better. I'm just about ready to say this is the best offensive line Nick Saban's had, Travis. And that's saying something because, you know, you returned four starters from a group last year that had a first-round pick in Jedrick Wills at right tackle, you know? I mean, think about that. But yeah. it does show you that the guys that were in that group a year ago, they've continued to improve. And you add Emil Echior into that lineup, he's been very good, very efficient when it comes to, you know, taking care of assignments, not committing penalties. Usually you think the new guy of the bunch is going to be the one that you see the most flags thrown on. And he's actually been the least penalized Alabama offensive lineman this season, the redshirt sophomore. So I can't necessarily disagree with you. You'll get a lot of folks that'll come at you with the 2012 group. And it was a good one. DJ Fluker, Fluker and Barrett Jones, Chance Warmack, yeah. Anthony Steen, uh, Cyrus Quanjo. That was a damn good group. And then when you had tight ends like Michael Williams as an extension of that offensive line, they were tough to deal with. But I'll say that for these tight ends, too. Uh, Miller Forstall, Jalil Billingsley, as much as we talk about him now as a receiver, he continues to get it done at the point of attack. So uh, they, they take care of business pretty well at the tight end position, too. And then and they, of course, can go to the extra offensive linemen when they, they feel a need. I think the best argument that can be made when you look at the, 12, the 2012 line versus this line is – that this line, and it's through no fault of their own, of course, I don't feel like this line is, is, has quite faced it uh, quite the way competition-wise because of COVID, right? I mean, Alabama's run just run over some teams that were um, roster short, right? So it's hard to compare, I think, this 2020 line with another team because uh, of that factor. But again... That's that, that's out of this line's hands. They just line up and, and run over who, whoever's in front of them. And it's been fortunate for them, Travis, on the flip side, that they haven't had a big – they haven't had a COVID outbreak in the offensive line room, or at least not one uh, that has shown up on a Saturday. That group's been healthy. They've been consistent. They've been cohesive. And, you know, they've been they've – been, fortunately for them, they've been able to play – as a unit, as far as I can think back anyway, uh, game after game. They have. The continuity absolutely is a huge thing, and they've been able to sort of maintain that. And, you know, that's impressive, again, because you didn't have a spring practice, but you did have sort of an elongated summer workup run up to the season. So apparently they were able to take care of some business there. But again, the veteran presence is probably what sets this apart from some other groups. You not only have three seniors in that room in that starting lineup, you got two fifth year seniors, you know, in that mix. And uh that that's that's something you just don't typically see at a lot of places, let alone Alabama, which is three and out you these days. So uh that absolutely plays a, a big role in it. And you talk about COVID nineteen, I mean hell you had four assistant coaches out for the game Saturday night. I'm sitting there 30 rows up in the pregame and there's Charlie strong repping up the outside linebackers. You know, they're having to call the boys up from the JV, those analysts 
uh, and some of the support staffers, you know. So uh, that was certainly interesting. And you'd heard rumblings about it late in the week, that very likely being the case, that they were going to be down some on-the-field assistance, but uh, didn't seem to bother them much, Chase, in winning by 38. No, no, not at all. And, and another note, I think, that points to the performance of that offensive line Alabama had 600 and some yards in this game, Travis, 650, whatever the number was. Only nine third-down conversion tries for the game. So that tells you they're moving the sticks on first and second down, not even getting to third down. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Alabama only had one second down on their second touchdown drive. Uh, so you talk, you talk about scooting down the field and, and uh, not having to even worry about it. You got – as a defense, you got to get a third down to do anything on third down, right? Yeah, you do. And so they absolutely did take care of business on early downs. And, you know, that's where they're a big problem, too, because you have to still respect thoroughly the rundowns, the first down, the Najee Harris. And then they run these gap protection schemes that look like runs. And then there's play action. Not only with the running back, but how they protect, it looks like runs. Uh, and that helps create space. As much as you would think, uh, there wouldn't be space for guys like Devontae Smith and John Mechie and uh, some of these other guys. Uh, because you still have to very much support and uh, anticipate run on early downs on really just about every down uh, with Najee Harris. That still... Uh, helps open some things up for Devontae Smith, and certainly Devontae helps the other way around too. But uh, it starts; it still starts with the Alabama run game. For all these crazy passing numbers and all these touchdown passes and touchdown catches, it still starts with can you deal with this offensive line and Najee Harris with just a six-man box against 11 personnel? You get light in there. Uh, against you know uh, those five offensive linemen and Miller Forstall or Jalil Billingsley or a tight end, uh, and then the ball goes to Najee, uh, it, it's kind of a pick-your-poison deal here we're talking about. They're running downhill, as yeah. our guy Steve downhill. Campbell would say, Travis. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, what'd you make of the LSU wild phantom touchdown, I guess you could call it, where – Kayshawn Boutte picks, uh, drops the ball before he crosses the goal line on the Tigers' first touchdown. Ends up being scored fumble recovery by John Trey Kirkland of the Tigers. Uh, you see that you see that guy that that dumps the ball before he crosses the goal line. Seems like about once a year in college football. Shake your head every time you see it. Uh, didn't end up being costly, obviously, in a fifty-five to seventeen game. But uh, if you're Ed Orgeron, Travis. Uh, it's just it's just one more headache. It is, but at least it was a true freshman in Kayshawn Boutte that did it, that he went for over 100 yards in the game receiving, so you saw some real positives for Boutte. He looks like he's the next guy. You know, he's going to be next in line to Marshall and Chase and uh, Beckham and Landry and guys that we've seen in the past uh, for LSU, so... That helps you live with it a little bit easier. Plus, give Kirkland a lot of credit, man, because the ball just sat there for what seemed like 10 or 12 seconds right on the goal line, and he was the only player on the field, Alabama or LSU, with the sensibility to go over and say, you know what, maybe I ought to pick this ball up. So 
I give that guy a lot of credit, but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, problematic. Um, you know, and you know, LSU starts the game. Finley, TJ Finley, I was impressed. I was impressed with TJ Finley. I was impressed with Max Johnson, who came in after Finley. I think how O goes about dealing with that quarterback situation as soon as this offseason is going to be fascinating because I think both those guys can be high level SEC starters. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of peel some layer back right now if you're an LSU fan, especially after you get double nickel by uh, Alabama at home. Uh, but Boutte and, and those quarterbacks and still the running back talent that LSU is going to bring back. I mean, they still obviously have some pieces, but, uh, you know, it, 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 what, what's what's the what's the ability of O and that staff uh, that he has right now anyway to get this thing back into sort of a top 10 scenario as soon as next season. If you're Nick Saban and or Pete Golding, do you get after the defense a little bit for not having the awareness to go after that ball that got dropped at the goal I would, line or no? Yeah. yeah. I, my, my question, if I'm Nick Saban or Pete Golding is where the hell were we? Right. You know? I mean, if you, if you've got people chasing the play, like they're supposed to be, uh, that's definitely going to be a teaching point for the Alabama defense uh, in the coming days is that, look, this guy tried to give us a cookie right here at the goal line and we wouldn't eat it. So, oh, no doubt. You know that, Chase. You know that's that's already been discussed. I can promise you. Defensively for the Crimson Tide, good segue there to jump into that side of the ball. Will Anderson with a couple more sacks for the Crimson Tide. He's coming around as a pass rusher, Travis. We've talked about him a little bit more in the last week or two here on the Talking Tide podcast. Be big for Alabama, certainly, if he continues to develop uh, from a pass rushing standpoint down the stretch here as Alabama uh, approaches the postseason in a couple of weeks. Uh, your thoughts, not only on Anderson, but uh, the rest of the defense. Yeah, I, I think you hit on it. I, I think Alabama's pass rush is getting to a point where if they can do a good enough job against the run, they can get after the quarterback. Now, they're having to manufacture some pressure at times still, and they really got beat on the one long catch by Boutte that he dropped short of the goal line. They busted a... They busted a call back there between Daniel Wright and Josh Job. It was, it was in Job's mind. It was a corner cat. He was coming from the boundary corner. Uh, Daniel Wright didn't see it that way. And the next thing you know, you got Boutte running down the field with the ball. Now later in the game, they came back to it, and Job got home. So when they're synced up, and again, communication is everything back there. Uh, they've got different ways in which they can get pressure on the quarterback. But as far as a four-man pass rush. You know, that has continued to improve. And I think as much as anything, Chase, it's because they're getting more guys that are proving to be capable of getting heat both inside and outside. You can have a great edge rusher, right? But if you're not getting some interior pass rush, well, then you got guys like Mac Jones that'll just step up into the pocket, let your edge guys run you know, themselves out of the play, and then light you up after they climb the pocket. Uh, but you're seeing more different guys, uh, you know, Byron Young, uh, Fedarian Mathis, Christian Barmore, uh, Justin Aboigby. They're getting more organic pressure uh, from time to time and not always having to count on that fifth or maybe even sixth guy to get some heat. 
inside pressure always better than outside pressure defensively just from a philosophical standpoint i mean look if, mm-hmm. if you got a guy that can bring it from the inside it does so much not only does it help free up an outside guy but the back that's that's there to protect the passer and maybe pick up a blitz or something well if he's got to commit himself to chipping a defensive tackle uh, well, then now if you're bringing somebody, if you're bringing a fifth guy, that guy's coming clean. Uh, or on, on the flip side, if your only pass rush is coming off the edge, as a, uh, on the the offense can handle that easier. The quarterback has more of a sense of where that guy's coming from, mm-hmm. tends to have a little bit better clock in his head internally and when to get rid of the ball. And, of course, uh, you kind of always know where to send the help if it's always coming off uh, the same edge or from the same edge guy. But that inside guy makes a world of difference, uh, even not necessarily making the sack and finishing sometimes, but just shrinking the pocket and maybe flushing the quarterback out when he doesn't want to be flushed. Yeah, you know, they've got drills. they got drills for that outside pass rush. You ever go to a football practice and you'll see quarterback coaches, GAs, you know, they'll be working stuff, climbing the pocket, right, with the outside guy impacting you. Uh, you know, even doing some spin spin moves out of the pocket to get out to the corner. They don't have many drills for when Aaron Donald's getting after your ass straight up the, yeah. the gut, do they? They don't have many Aaron Donald drills at uh, these football practices. None they that I've seen anyway. no halftime adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> Baba shop talk. That's what they'll tell you in the Northport barbershop. <laughs> or that 08 Alabama or the 09 Alabama Florida SEC title game. Yeah. yeah. Went in there for a yeah. time before that game. Got some analysis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go. The Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer. Uh, with you here once again on the Sunday night. are going to thank our sponsors now quickly, starting, of course, with our charter sponsor, North River Dental Associates, and former Alabama player Dr. Jack Smalley and his outstanding group of dental hygienists. They do all kinds of dental work there, get you in and out quickly on a routine cleaning appointment, 752-3506, also online at northriverdentist.com. And uh, Travis, you've, uh, you've been in there as I understand it, unless it got postponed, uh, had to, had to go with that dental trip. It went great as always, just like you said, uh, great staff, you know, Dr. Jack is outstanding in and of himself, but, uh, his hygienist, his, uh, office staff there, uh, everyone involved there at North river dental, they are, they are literally a team that, that are tasked with making the experience as as positive as it possibly can be. And I can say in gosh, 10 plus years now that we've been using North river dental, it's, it's always been perfect. Great. Out of there in less than an hour, were you pretty much? Yeah. You know, it was a little crowded, but like you said, they, uh, they got me in and out, uh, just as typically is the case any other time I'm in there. Yeah. Well, well within an hour. Absolutely. Porcelain Veneers, Cosmetic Dentistry, Pediatric Dentistry, Laser Dentistry, Teeth Whitening Services. They do it all over at North River Dental Associates. Uh, off of McFarland Boulevard, just dip down Watermelon Road. They're right beside West Alabama Pediatrics in Fairfax Park. Check them out. 
I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House. Out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. If you were in the area yesterday, on Saturday, on game day for LSU, I really hope you got by Southern Ale House. And if you didn't, the next time you're in town or if you're in town, you need to do it as early as Monday. But uh, they've got that pimento cheeseburger there, and they had it once again on Saturday as a part of the specials menu. And you know what else you typically can find on a game day Saturday at Southern Ale House? Those outstanding fire-roasted chicken wings. They are out of this world. Now, if you like a sort of plethora, a variety of burgers, Tuesdays are definitely the day to get by Southern Ale House. They have burgers and brews, they call it, all day long. And they're going to throw some specialty burgers at you. We've talked about the Jack Daniels burger that they've been running of late. That pimento cheeseburger is always a great option. They've got a pepper jelly burger, a patty melt that is out of this world. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Check them out. Also want to tell you about Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Weeknight specials there at Heat Pizza Bar. Also, when you talk about game weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday through Sunday, really, with the Thursday, Friday games. Hell, we've even got NFL games on Wednesdays now at 2.40 in the afternoon. So maybe that's when you get by Heat Pizza Bar. No matter the time, you're going to get great pizza. You're going to get great full bar service in addition to that. Great appetizers, outstanding salads, and again, excellent service from start to finish. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Talk Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We're going to run through the scores around the Southeastern Conference, as we always do to close out the Sunday nighter. Travis, Texas A&M got it done against Auburn. They improved to 7-1 on the season. Their only loss of the year, of course, to Alabama. That final score, 31-20. to uh, Kellen Mond with a couple hundred yards passing. Isaiah Spiller, a guy who I think, uh, you've been impressed by down the stretch here, 20 carries, 120 yards. So, uh, six carry that's six yards a pop for Spiller against us at Auburn defense. Uh, a nice game for him for sure as well. Yeah. And he's been doing this for a while now. You know, you wondered when A&M came in here and it was really Anaya Smith that A&M was featuring. It wasn't Spiller. You know, Spiller, I don't think he had 40 rushing yards here in Tuscaloosa uh, back in early October. So uh, Spiller emerging as a primary option offensively to go along with Kellen Mond in the passing game, Weidermeyer at tight end. Uh, Anaya Smith is one of my very favorite players in the SEC because he can do so many different things. He can still get in the backfield and run the power, even at his size and short yardage and goal line and get into the end zone with Spiller in front of him, which we saw against Auburn on Saturday. So, yeah, I give A&M credit because they got down there in the second half, sort of the latter stages of the third quarter, and you're thinking, wow, you know, this is going to be another Auburn special on the plains against a top-five type opponent. But they sort of weathered that. They got a break. I'm not sure if you saw it, but Mond hit. Auburn linebackers, a Kobe McLean right in the hands on about the goal line there later in the third quarter. And it goes not only off of McLean's hands, but into Weidermeyer's. It was an Auburn play in Auburn, except it went for Texas A&M. You know what Mm. I'm saying? Yeah. So, 
but you're right. I mean, Spiller, and I'll tell you this too. There's been more than one game this year where A&M has played a team and then Alabama has played them the following week. I think it was Mississippi State, you know, in late October. They, they went through state one after the other. And then you saw Texas A&M and LSU this previous weekend before Alabama went to LSU. Well, you'll see some things that A&M puts on tape, especially offensively, that the next week you'll see Alabama sort of take. And they take from each other. Like this week, you kind of figured Alabama was going to go with more gap scheme runs uh, with the pulling guards and pulling linemen and things like power, things like that. Um, and, and they did from the outset against LSU Saturday night. But it's also stuff you saw LSU, I mean, Texas A&M do against LSU the previous week. But, hey, A&M's answering all the questions, answering the bell right now. But they got Lane coming in Saturday night. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, Lane, Lane will score on that defense. He's going to get you know, scored Lane, on. Lane likes to rain on parades. You know, <laughs> he Lane, does. he, 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 he yeah. likes to do that, I think. I yeah. think he likes to be the little spoiler. I think know, he likes to pee on parades. <laughs> yes, yes, I think he definitely would do that. He sure would. 31-19, the score in that Florida-Tennessee game, Travis, a series that uh, just ain't what it used to be. Tennessee falling to two and six in this one. Florida improves to eight and one. They're of course locked in now for that SEC championship game. Uh, Kyle Trask, a big night, four hundred and thirty-three yards, four touchdowns for him, and uh, a host of uh, Tennessee quarterbacks in there. Uh, two hundred forty yards passing for Tennessee, not nearly enough on this night. Uh, your thoughts on this one and? And uh, the way things are kind of shaping up for, for Jeremy Pruitt, rough, rough year for Pruitt over there in Knoxville. Yeah, he got a little off the rails, and he had a tough week because Kevon Bennett, his top pass rusher, he had to dismiss during the game week after Bennett, the son of Cornelius Bennett, uh, was arrested on uh, drug and and weapons charges there in the Knoxville area. So. It, 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 if there's a light at the end of the tunnel right now for Jeremy, it, it seems more like it's an Amtrak, you know, than it is uh, a pathway to an SEC Eastern Division championship. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, look, I, I thought I thought Tennessee hung in there pretty well. You're starting a true freshman at quarterback and Harrison Bailey uh, ended up going with JT Shrout. They ended up covering the 17 and a half. So there was that bit of uh optimism to to come for uh good news to come for Tennessee fans that maybe had a had a financial interest in that game Saturday afternoon at Neyland Stadium. But um you know Florida is Florida's I, I have a, a struggle with contemplating uh the matchup with Alabama and we're gonna have plenty of time to do that I know. Um there are times I watch Florida especially offensively and think they're they're gonna be able to hang in there in a shootout with Alabama. And then there are stretches where, you know, when you think about a matchup with Alabama, there's just so little room for error. And I don't think Florida's defense is built in a way to get an extra stop or two per half that the Gators might need in a game like that. And again, that's still off in the distance a week or so away, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's been an impressive run for Florida and you're right. I mean, we lived in Jacksonville, Florida, you know, right there, 75, 80 miles from Gainesville. And especially in the nineties, you know, you kind of felt like, 
yeah, you kind of felt like Tennessee, Florida would be the game for, or would be one of the games at least forever. And it was, it was relegated to JV status uh, over the weekend. My, what I wondered about that game and, and Florida in particular, I, I guess both of them, but you know, you mentioned Florida's offense and, and how prolific it's been and its ability to maybe keep up with the Crimson Tide. You wonder about the balance, though, and whether that would come into play. Yeah. Florida against Tennessee, 17 carries, 19 yards on the ground. That's not even trying to have balance when you throw 50 passes and, and for over 400 yards passing. And although on the flip side, Tennessee, if, if you add this up, Travis, Florida and Tennessee combined rushed 56 times for 113 yards. That's, yeah. that's two yards a pop between them. Uh, Tennessee, at least, was a little more committed, uh, running the ball mm-hmm. 39 times to Florida 17. Uh, but uh, I don't know if that's, I don't that's, know if the Gators can can grind out the balance they might need offensively. We'll that, see. That's just that's who Florida is this year, and that's yeah. what they're going to be the rest of the year. Now, what you got to be careful of with Florida is to mistaken lacking production in the ground game for lacking production from the running back position because their running backs will still produce as receivers. Uh, just look at the Georgia game. Uh, really lit up Georgia uh, with the backs and that wheel route game uh, against Kirby Smart and the dogs. So, you know, that's where with Alabama, the matchup I think will be more so than anything else with the backs is those guys on Dylan Moses, Christian Harris, you know, trying to get matched up uh, with Alabama linebackers because they can do a lot of damage right there. And of course, Kyle Pitts at the tight end position and uh, how they sort of go about it. But uh, no, I think where where the run game matters even more so than just start to finish balance is if you have a lead against this Alabama team going into the fourth quarter, you really want to be able to run the ball, right? Because yeah. you want to take the fourth quarter clock and you want to keep Mac Jones, you want to keep Devontae Smith as much as possible on the sideline because all they need is just a little bit anyway. So you want to minimize opportunities for those guys as much as you can. That's where I think Florida has a problem. Um, and also in stopping the run. I think if if that game ends up being, uh, you know, into the fourth quarter and Alabama has a lead, just like Saturday night, the latest example of it, uh, Alabama didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter. I think they had 90-plus rushing yards uh, in the fourth quarter Saturday night. So, They'll be capable, I think, of doing that to Florida, too, if it comes down to it. Yeah, Bryce Young, one pass. Uh, He's not getting to throw it around uh, in garbage time quite as much as Mac Jones did behind Tua, is he? No, you know, and uh, Nick let him take a shot into the end zone there, uh, or towards the end zone, Um, you know, I I think there. while, uh, While Bryce Young was in the game, but, uh, yeah, that was it. He got sacked again. Seems like it's not a, an Alabama game unless Bryce Young gets sacked there in the fourth quarter, and it happened again this week. But those young running backs look good once again. Jason McClellan, Roy Dell Williams. Um, you know, Alabama runs for 265. I think, it's, I think it's like three or four straight now against LSU that Alabama's rushed for more than 200 yards in the series. 
That is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us mid uh, midweek as we preview the Crimson Tide's final scheduled regular season game against the Arkansas Razorbacks. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I am Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.